As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our whirlwind review of AFCON Match Day 1. So far we've seen some great starts from the likes of hosts Ivory Coast, Morocco and Senegal. Some nice surprises from Mozambique and Cape Verde in Group B and much, much more to talk about. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me with AFCON Chat, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Good to be here, my friend. Excited to be here. Excited to talk AFCON. Indeed. Quite a tournament so far. Joining us to talk with about it as well. Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan Bailey. There's a lot to talk about. The games are coming thick and fast to such an extent that as we're recording, it's the uh, the Guinea Derby, not involving actual Guinea. It's Guinea-Bissau versus Equatorial Guinea. Equatorial Guinea are winning 3-1. I've seen nothing of that game. So if listeners are tuning in to hear about that one, I'm afraid, yeah, the games are just coming too qu- uh, quick and fast, but we'll cover a lot. If you are tuning in specifically to hear coverage of that game, please let us know, because I would be fascinated <laughs> to hear why. <laughs> so many guineas, so little time, T-Rock. Uh, joining us to talk about AFCON, Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. Hi, Ryan. I'm just you're thinking about, you know, the listener gets to listen to the fun intro music to build the hype into the show, and we don't. And that feels unfair. We, we should get to listen to the intro music, too. Why don't we get to listen? To Play us a song, what? Ryan. Come on. What, yeah, you, sing, sing us a song, Ryan. Come on. Please. <laughs> Joe, what you're not telling the listener is that before every recording, I, I sing the theme tune. Uh, to you all to get yeah, but you not, up. not while we're going. Like, I want you to do both. It's like, you know, you can't play two notes on the recorder at the same time, which feels like a crime, feels like a flaw of the instrument. Um, I think that's maybe a flaw of, of, of your own, right? If I'm being honest. Wow, I never yeah, thought about that. Come on. With recorders, that's deep, Joe. Very deep. <laughs> this might be my, my fastest what is happening of any recording session, but here we Let's are. Let's get back on track. Uh, Taylor, um, 27 goals from the 12 games uh, that started off match day. Well, the match day one games, shall we mm-hmm. say, because we've had a few match day two games that Graham mentioned there Guinea as well. disrespect, but go on. Uh, random numbers. So 27 <laughs> goals in the first 12 games of this tournament. In the last tournament, uh, there was 12 goals. Nine of those opening games finished 1-0. Mm-hmm. So hence, therefore, ergo, better tournament so far? I think so. Why not? Uh, no nil-nils is always a good recipe for a start. I think the host nation getting a strong win, then some surprising results along the way, and then a few teams maybe separating as contenders or as favorites. Uh, it, it's been a, a fun, interesting tournament with some uh, surprising results, some strange results along the way. Ryan, how many goals did you say there, this tournament so far? 27 in the first round. Oh, in the first round. Okay, I thought you were counting the Guinea Derby goals, because that's 4-1 now, so I was going to add an extra goal to the tally. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, which will surely be out of date by the time we finish this recording as well, Graham. Yeah. (laughs) Wonderful stuff. Uh, What do you think, uh, Graham? General vibe? Better standard this time? Are you feeling it? Yeah, I vaguely remember match they won from the last AFCON. I seem to remember a general vibe of uh, matches hadn't been great at, at, in, in the early stages of the, of the last tournament. So yeah, I think from what I can remember, it has been an improvement. And from what I've seen so far, there is a divide between, mm-hmm. I think, three front runners in this tournament who have started well, recorded pretty routine wins. Cape Verde, and then, number one. Cape Verde, of course, <laughs> included in, among those front runners. Um, no, Cape Verde are included in the next category, which is shocks. We've had loads of them so far, so which many. is great. 
Yeah. And makes obviously the tournament more exciting. And, and it was kind of the same in 2021, which was actually 2022. It's a very con- confusing tournament, but that was the last AFCON. Uh, and I think that's kind of become part of AFCON's identity as the shock potential. Everyone loves an upset. And I think the smaller countries now believe that they can upset the kind of heavyweights. And I think I really enjoy about tournaments like this is in that first round, you see teams maybe starting slow, maybe taking their time to figure it out, maybe getting people into certain positions, and then you can see how they grow throughout the tournament. So I do think we have a few teams that maybe haven't started at like top gear necessarily, but I do think set themselves up to have some answers for that second game and have better results in the second game. So I think that's also an interesting little wrinkle. Cameroon, I'm looking specifically in your direction. Get them. Oh boy, let's get to them shortly, but we're going to run through the groups uh, alphabetically. Joe, why don't we start off uh, in that sense in Group A? Uh, Ivory Coast. We, we we did mention a couple of these games at the end of the weekend review on Monday, by the way, but we'll go through them a bit more thoroughly in this here pod. But we'll start off with Ivory Coast, the hosts, with their 2-0 win over Guinea-Bissau. Joe. Yeah, is, Graham, did you mention the three teams that you felt like had, had recorded those resounding early results, other than Cape Verde, of course? <laughs> so the three are Ivory Coast, Senegal, yeah. and Morocco. And, think, and that's the, what I figured, right? Senegal and Morocco are obvious, and those games happened more recently as well. Well, at least what we got to see of the Senegal game. Uh, thanks, Bien, or whoever is providing that feed. But the Ivory Coast uh, getting this 2-0 win over Guinea-Bissau early in the tournament, very first game, I think absolutely belongs in that category that you mentioned there, Graham. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. They were not totally dominant in this game, but they were the better team. It was a routine, if not awe-inspiring win in terms of the performance. It was awe-inspiring in terms of the goals, right? And I mentioned this on Monday. Seko Fofana with an absolute banger to kick off the tournament, and I'll toss in my two cents. A tournament that's been awesome so far. So many big teams going down, as we as we discussed briefly. Ivory Coast pressing high. Frank Kessier's in midfield winning the ball. In this particular moment, early in the game in the fourth minute, he wins it and slips it forward to Fofana, who then just slaps the ball right past the goalkeeper into the back of the net from distance. It's a really, really nice goal. The the right foot on Seko Fofana is lethal, it certainly seems like. There have been a lot of very promising goal-scoring midfielders so far on match day one. Because a little later, Fofana has another right-footed banger that hits the woodwork, and there's so much to like about what he brings. He's like this dynamic force in this midfield. It it almost doesn't seem like he should be a number eight. It seems like he should be a center back or a number nine. But he, along with Sangare as the six and Kessie as the other number eight, form an extremely formidable trio in a 4-3-3 for the Ivory Coast. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't a super free-flowing, like easy chance creation day for the Ivory Coast, but they had the talent advantage and they took full advantage of it on the day. I thought Seko Fofana, I mean, it's easy to say when he scores a goal like he did, but I thought even beyond that goal, he was the best player on the pitch for me. He's just so effective at picking up the ball from deep, driving it forward. It kind of offers everything around the edge of the box as well, passing it passing it to get through the kind of Guinea-Bissau defence, his goal, of course. He's got real goal threat. I'm still a bit disappointed. There'll be football manager players, managers out there, who recognise Seko Fofana, Fofana from that game. He is a, a football manager icon. I'm still really disappointed he went to Saudi Arabia because he was being linked with Premier League um, teams and I just I wanted to see how he would do at that kind of level. He was at Lons um, last season. So I'm delighted to see him play like this for Ivory Coast. And you just go through the spine of that Ivory Coast team and I mentioned this in our preview episode. I'm not convinced there's a better structural spine in the whole tournament. Both centre-backs are top quality, Evan Indica and Usman uh, Diomande. Then you have that well-balanced midfield unit that Joe talked about with Kessie and uh, Sangari and Seko Fafana. The one question I had about the spine looking at this team was Sebastian Hilaire is, is out with injury at the moment. So the centre-forward was a question mark. I don't know a huge amount about Jean-Philippe Crasso, but then he scores that second goal and the way that he flicks that up for himself before kind of angling the, the, the how would you describe it? Like the finish on the slide into the sure. far corner. Yeah, I love that whole, that whole move as well. So there were some sloppy moments from Ivory Coast. I think once they got a little bit comfortable, maybe just, I don't know, their concentration slipped a little bit. But the general profile of their performance, the players that they have, yeah, I liked what I saw. All right, Taylor, elsewhere in Group A, Nigeria with the 1-1 draw with Equatorial Guinea. Uh, Victor Osman uh, pulling it back after Equatorial Guinea took the lead in this one. Yeah, it turns out that old cliche about uh, being vulnerable when you score maybe came home to roost for Equatorial Guinea in this one. They score, they're all very happy, kickoff happens, Nigeria go long, Victor Osman heads in, and it's 1-1. to And that's how it finishes. And I think... This is about what I expected from Nigeria in that we expected them to have a strong attack. We talked about this, uh, I believe, on the weekend review. 
We were concerned a little bit about the midfield and a lot more concerned about the defense and goalkeeping. They create plenty of opportunities, uh, 3.4 XG or something like that, but only convert the one goal. So we would expect them to maybe convert more of those as the tournament goes on and score more goals. The question is just can they be as solid at the back? Because I did not think, though Equatorial Guinea only scored the one, this was a particularly strong or confidence-building defensive display from Nigeria. Just some mistakes both defensively, but then also in trying to play out that led yeah. to opportunities for, for Equatorial Guinea. And I think Nigeria still have some some wrinkles to iron out, so to speak. Yeah, and I'm fascinated, unfortunately, given the time that, that we're recording <coughs> and the schedule of the tournament, mm-hmm. we're going to get a real look at Nigeria against the Ivory Coast, which is a massive game for them. Not necessarily a must win because of the format of the tournament with the best four third place teams getting out as well, but it's, it is absolutely a test. Nigeria, Taylor, I agree with you. They were excellent in the attack. They created a ton of chances. I think I said on Monday, if you had to look at one reason why Nigeria wouldn't win this opener, I don't think anybody would have picked Victor Osimhen misses a bunch of chances after he scores a goal in the 38th yeah. minute. I don't think any of us had that on our on our bingo card. But there were some of those defensive frailties, right? They didn't give up many clean-cut chances, but even moments where they're sort of struggling to clear the ball and, and other things that don't exactly fill you with confidence heading into a game against probably the best team in your group. So I'm not... I don't think any of us were ever all the way there in Nigeria. I think I was higher than anybody else on them coming into the tournament. I still think they're going to progress out of this group and they have the potential to beat anybody on the day. But a mixed performance in some ways, even if I think Nigeria very clearly were the top team in this match. Yeah, I agree with that, Joe. The result, the scoreline itself, the final scoreline, that didn't surprise me at all. I think I tipped Nigeria as the big team to go out in the group stage in our, in our preview episode. I, I don't think I'm too far off with that. I wasn't overly impressed with them. But I, I don't really know what to make of their performance in, in this game um, because there are a couple wrinkles in there that were maybe unexpected. So we knew about the injury to Victor Boniface. Uh, Ian Acho is injured as well now and so doesn't play, um, doesn't feature in this match. We thought it was going to be a four four two from Nigeria, and as they line up in this game, it's it's more of a you know a single front man with Moses Simon and Adamola Lukman as the yeah. wide men either side of him. And the knock on of that is that Nigeria are a bit more transitional than maybe they'd planned for. My instinct, my immediate reaction to that is that might actually suit them to have that width of Lukman and, and, and Simon with a Wobi behind as the kind of box-to-box carrier, and then Yusuf and Onyeka, Onyeka, who I really like, actually, as the, kind of, as, the, as the midfield foundation. In theory, I like that setup, but then I found an article by a local journalist who argues that that won't suit Nigeria, so I, I'm, I maybe fight, don't know what I'm fight, talking about. Fight, uh, fight. I'll be interested to see how that pans out over the course of the tournament. As you mentioned, um, uh, Joe, they've got that game against Ivory Coast, which will be a real test of how tournament-ready they are with the players available they have. I, yeah. I know this is like sheer lunacy here, but I feel like there's a chance Nigeria-Ivory Coast is nil-nil. And it's just two teams like trying to target their attack, trying not to get exposed at the back. And it's not a particularly pretty game. Or maybe it's another one-to-one. But I think Nigeria will get a point, but I don't think it will be because they've figured it out and played a lot better. I think it's going to be a bit of a slog. I look forward to this one finishing 5-4 to four now that I've made this prediction. <laughs> I was going to say a bold prediction, Taylor, given that this episode will likely drop during that game. So we, uh, <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. Uh, shall we head over to... Well, I'm editing this one, right? So uh, <laughs> if that prediction is ludicrous, expect an edit here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is going to sound like, I think that a score will be five, two, four. It's going to be uh, nicely edited, I'm sure. Uh, group B. Uh, lots of interesting... 18 in recording, insert edit points. Cool. Got it. Got <laughs> it in the notes. Let's go. <laughs> score. Very good. Group B. Uh few interesting talking points here, Joe. Egypt with a 2-2 draw with Mozambique uh, in their opener, requiring a Mo Salah late penalty to get a point here. Yeah, I've got Egypt. Graham's got his own tiers. I've got my own tiers, except it's just one, and it's called teams, big teams that Joe isn't super impressed with. And in it are Egypt, Cameroon, Algeria, and Tunisia. Those are the four teams that are in this tier so far. Joe, I'm not sure you know how tiers work. I just uh, want to throw that out Yeah, there I'm more fast. of like a single tier cake guy. You know, you don't, what do you need the top ones for, really? What are they adding? They're not, adding, they're not getting anything to the party. Uh, I, I didn't think Egypt were great in this game, and it's pretty easy to say given that they drew 2-2 with a team that they probably should be beating. Tactically, Egypt set up in, in more of a 4-2-3-1 in this game. Mustafa Mohamed gets the opener after a, a cross into Salah, and Salah can't get a shot off cleanly. Mohamed does a fantastic job to go and and create a little bit of space for himself, turn and shoot all in the same motion. If there was, there were two things that I liked about Egypt in this game. 
Muhammad's performance as the number nine was one of them. I think he looks like a, a true goal scorer. I don't know how reliable he's going to be over the course of the tournament, but he looks like a plus in that number nine spot. But really, I thought Egypt just lacked energy in this game. They go down, they they end up, uh, Mozambique end up taking a, a 2-1 lead over Egypt in this game after an Egypt turnover, and they just go and attack in behind. They looked Egypt sloppy with the ball, with the exception of when the ball was at, very obviously, Mosala's foot. And one thing that I did enjoy about this game, which I, even with four goals, I didn't think was a, a super well-played game, I really enjoy getting to watch Mosala be like a number 10. And, and he doesn't strictly drift in zone 14, but he was playing more centrally in this game than we tend to see him play for Liverpool because he's the man, right? Like he he is the guy. He is still probably the biggest player in all of Africa, even though there are other very talented players as well. Like he is everything to this Egypt team. And you can see that in terms of where he picks up the ball, the types of passes he plays, getting to watch just like a comp of Mosala's touches from this game as a number 10, I think would fill basically anybody with joy even if the result didn't go Egypt's way. Yeah, there, there's a lot of discussion in Egypt about the, the change of style since Rui Vittoria has come into this uh, into this national team. I think the real talking point from Egypt's perspective coming out of this match is, Joe, you mentioned how Mozambique were able to get in behind. That's the concerning bit for me if I'm Egypt. I wonder if Higazi might come out this lineup for the next game against Ghana because having that space in behind, the way that Vittoria likes to set up with a high defensive line, I just don't think he's got the recovery speed or awareness to, to to make that work. It's a little bit like watching Harry Maguire play that position. And we saw that for the second goal, right? How easily Mozambique were just able to play a ball straight through the middle of the defence. The defence is pretty fragmented from from Egypt and that's how they, they score the the second goal. So I wonder if that might be an area. Everything else you can kind of you can kind of chalk up to Early season, uh, early tournament, excuse me, jitters. We saw obviously with Argentina at, at the 2022 World Cup. By the way, every big team that hasn't won their opening game in this yep. tournament, that has been the talking point. Oh, we're going to do an Argentina and uh, the Qatar World Cup. But from Egypt's point of view, you could see the, I think the change of the, uh, of an approach from Vittoria. They did control large portions of the match, but the way that they were, the, the way that they gave Mozambique that route in behind, that's a concern. Indeed. Uh, Taylor, should we jump over to Ghana? Cape Verde, surprise one. Maybe not so much of a surprise. We did have our reservations about Ghana uh, and the way they've went into this tournament. Cape Verde, who very much do not play in green, and that still bothers me. Uh, but getting the 2-1 uh, big win here with a 90-second minute winner. Yes, sir. And I enjoyed this one immensely, even if I have some sympathies for Ghana, some strange loyalties for Ghana. But in this game, I was all about Cap Verde. And uh, it worked out quite well with Bebe starting up top. He does not score uh, in this one. But it was from Cape Verde and Bubista, their manager, a, I think a more collective performance. I did not expect them to dominate possession. I did not expect them to create uh, more expected goal opportunities and more total shots. But they did. And I think for Ghana, that has to be... Very worrying, not just the result and obviously losing their opener, but the fact that this was a Ghanaian team that heading into the tournament, the concern was that they lacked attacking play, that they weren't particularly <laughs> strong and cohesive in the way they attacked, that they had focused much more on the defensive side and been a little bit more conservative in their squad selections under Chris Hewton. And so I think the expectation was they will be defensively solid, but unremarkable in the attack. And I would say they were somewhat un unremarkable in attack, but also not particularly solid in defense. And I think they come away from this one with more questions than answers for sure. That's a bad combo, Taylor, just to analyze that. <laughs> yes. It's, yeah. it's, it's oh, like yes. that. Uh, uh, it's, it's a, in Joe's tier system, uh, it's in the bad <laughs> tier. It reminds me of that uh, David Moyes quote from the Manchester United <laughs> tweet, tweeted out. It's like, we need yeah. to be better in defense and attack, passing the ball. Yeah, every, Better at getting everything. our game-specific NFTs, etc. Et <laughs> of course. Yeah. No, they, they nailed that one. Don't worry about that. Yeah, oh, that's okay, impossible. Good. That's good to hear. Uh, Graham, who, who'd have thought that a situation with Chris Hutton in charge of Ghana would be <laughs> an issue? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, as you mentioned, Ryan, we saw this coming with Ghana. This has been their form heading into the tournament. Defensively, they've been vulnerable for a while now. The, the defending for the Cap, the Cap Verde winner, by the way, is just Atrocious. calamitous. We mentioned it on the weekend review that Ofori, the goalkeeper, just wiping out the Cap Verde striker, and it's a, it's a tapping into the back of the net. Um, the situation with Chris, Chris Hutton is actually turning quite nasty. So a fan was arrested after the game for trying to attack him at the, the hotel. You've got Ghanaian legends and former players openly criticizing Hutton, which is, you know, Fair. that's a prerogative as pundits, but I've seen a couple of 
criticisms that have gone a little bit too far. Um, a lot of calling for him to go during the tournament and to be replaced during the group stage. And um, of course, there were those shouts already before the tournament. So I, I just can't see how this situation ends up with Ghana having a, a good AFCON, particularly when you see how they played in this game. Hey, Graham, one thing that you might not know, though, is that um, Argentina lost their opener at the World Cup and then they went on to win it. So <laughs> right, you never know what can happen. Yeah. You never know what can happen. Also, in 2010, Spain, they lost their etc. and so on. Um, Joe, Cape Verde, how deep did they go? Did they get out of this group, do you think? Um, Three points in your first game, I think, is almost certainly going to be enough to get you out of the group. In in all of these groups, right? Mm -hmm. Assuming you pick up at least one more point. And even if you don't, you've still got a shot to get out. I I think Cape Verde absolutely make it out of of this group B. And I, I don't see them going terribly far in this tournament. But one more win after breaking into the next round... Doesn't seem impossible. Ghana are truly terrible. Like everything that we've said outside of like, you know, don't don't take the criticisms too far on a personal level. But for soccer stuff, they are abysmal. And they have been under Chris Hutton. They were against the US. They were at the World Cup, even, even with a sort of different regime. Like they are really, really bad. And in, in this game, we should note they're missing Mohamed Kudush, which is a, a big loss for them. He is one of the best players at this competition, but they're awful. So I don't, I really don't know how much to make of this win from Cape Verde. It's not like they're taking down a giant. They took down an underperforming team, missing their biggest star with a whole bunch of other problems following them behind. With that being said, they created more chances, they created better chances, and they had more of the ball against Ghana. So there are things to like here. Jamiro Montero getting a goal. There's one for MLS fans. Like There there are things to take away if you're a Cape Verde fan or if you're Cape Verde, but I am hesitant to project them going crazy far off of this result. Yeah. I would I would go along with that, Joe, but it feels like, and this is maybe the most da- damning thing for, for Ghana, keep in mind this is a country, Cap Verde, of 500,000 people, they've only ever won two AFCON games b- before this one. Diaspora, and they don't have, diaspora, woo! <laughs> they don't really have any like standout superstars in this team in the way that Ghana do with Mohamed Kudus, who might be back for the, the second game. Baby. But it, it felt like watching this one, <laughs> Cap Verde didn't have to play that well to get the win, and maybe they have a gear that's higher than this. I don't know, I don't know this Cap Verde team that well they did a really good job of activating the left side they limited Ghana as you say Joe they created more chances they were the more proactive team but it wasn't like Cap Verde played out of their skin I feel like this is a a performance that they could replicate in other games against other teams yeah Uh, Joe you've just reminded me obviously four of the six third place teams also go through and the relative lack of peril in this group stage of this expanded version of AFCON yes it's why Graham's shout that Nigeria won't get out of the group is especially bold given that third place don't uh, back down, this. double down. There we go, baby. <laughs> I, I, I really do think teams that have exceptional talent in this tournament are obviously going to be in a strong position. Thus far, to me, it feels like teams that can play as a collective whole or play as a unit and have some identifiable attacking tactics and then also do a good job defensively stand a pretty good chance of going at least into the knockout rounds or maybe making a run in there. Confared so far, they seem like a team that has that, that they played as a unit, they moved the ball well, they strung some passes together, more than Ghana, though who knows if that's actually an achievement. We'll see what Ghana do in their next game, uh, I believe against Egypt, where they yep. will, I believe, have Mohamed Kudush back. So maybe that'll be a stronger performance and maybe that makes Confared look even better by comparison. Marvellous. Break time. When we come back, we'll look at groups C and D. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, we are going through AFCON's match day one. We turn our attention now to Group C, where Joseph Senegal kicked off in style with a 3-0 win over the Gambia. Yeah, I I watched a lot of AFCON, and I mentioned this now already on the show, but I want to be very clear. I I don't have as good of a read on this game as I would (laughs) like to, because instead we got to watch more of Nigeria in their game because the feed cut out. And so there were challenges here, but I think we all got at least a little bit of a glimpse of Senegal in this match. 
So to start with the tactical stuff, I, I didn't think there had been a ton of interesting tactical things going on in the tournament prior to this game and prior to what Senegal are trying to do. So in defense, Senegal play this 4-3-3 shape where they'll sometimes flatten out to a 4-5-1, but they are trying to be fairly aggressive. They will step up. They will press. I imagine they'll do that against anybody in this competition. In possession, though, they shift. They shift to a back three with Abdou Diallo going from the number six to maybe a slightly more natural center back position for him. So we saw sort of the first team with a real obvious flexible shape change from one part of the game to the other. And I I don't know if it was a tactical approach or the talent advantage or some combination of of the two things. Senegal were pretty clearly the, the top dog in this game. All of their goals came out of central midfield. I mentioned some central midfielders doing damage in the score sheet in this first round of games, and, and that's exactly what happened. The player that we all wanted to talk about in the preview, Lamin Kamara, 20-year-old, plays in Liga, only scores bangers, apparently, or only scores goals in big games or in big ways. He gets a brace in this match. It was Papagay, though, his his partner in midfield, the two number eights or, or the two number sixes, depending on the phase. He scored the first goal after a really simple pass from Mane, and that was in the fourth minute. Like, it was pretty clear pretty early in this game who was going to be walking out with three points with a really strong midfield and other strong options off the bench. This didn't even have to be like the Sadio Mane show for Senegal. And at 31, now playing in Saudi Arabia and other challenges that come with aging as a, a, a sort of aggressive, technical, but speedy winger, the, the number of games that don't have to be Sadio Mane games, the higher that number is, probably the better off Senegal are going to be in this tournament. I mean, he is 31, but he's got the strength of an 18-year-old behind him. So it's just, oh. oh, no. He's under that, is he? <laughs> I'm glad Taylor went there before I did. Uh, I had a worse one. Uh, Graham, <laughs> <I figured>. uh, <laughs> are you in the Lamine Kamara hive? Have you been activated at this point? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was delighted to see Lamine Kamara play like this. We spoke so much about him in the in the preview that I was expecting an underwhelming tournament because that's the effect that we have on players. But yeah, he was fantastic. Obviously, the two finishes are impressive. By the way, the second goal, the strike from Kamara is brilliant. But what about the Maradona turn by, uh, who is it, Iliman Njai for, for the assist is fantastic as well. But the, mo- the, the thing I found most eye-catching about Kamara in terms of his general performance was just his willingness to continue his run. And Gambia were never able to, to, to handle that. Anytime Kamara, or anyone else for that matter, it wasn't just Kamara who was doing this, but made that run behind the defensive line, there was confusion. And Senegal would frequently have time and space to do something in the box. That's, what's, that's what happened for the, for the first goal, when, by the way, Lamine Kamara has a, a hand in that, in the, in the creation of that opportunity as well, by bursting into the box down the right side and, and playing the ball across. So yeah, very impressed by Lamine Kamara. I would be surprised if he's still at Mets by the start of next season. Okay. Uh, Cameroon and Guinea kicking off Taylor with a 1-1 draw. I believe you had have, you have some beef with Cameroon you want to get off your chest? I mean, just that they're not uh, the most enjoyable of teams at present. Watching this game, I feel like they had some pretty clear ideas on what they wanted to do. I feel like a few similarities to what Joe was talking about with Senegal, where they can play in a back four, they can shift into a back three at times, especially in possession. So they get... Uh, their their wing backs or a fullback becomes a wing back and I think a winger becomes a wing back. So they get a, a numbers wide, they have numbers central, but it felt like as a result, it was usually uh Angisa, Frank Samuel Angisa, as their sort of only central midfielder pretty regularly. Sometimes he would have other uh players drop in to support him, but really often it had this like three three four shape and the middle three was the two wing backs spread very wide and then Angisa central. And that led to a lot of just direct play, a lot of balls in behind, but against a team in Guinea who were sort of sitting off and sitting deeper, that's not really going to work so well. And it just felt really disjointed for large stretches of this game for Cameroon. And I think it's a performance that hopefully they learn that maybe they need to have a little bit more possession through the middle and, and create some more chances through the middle because even the goal they score comes from basically a hopeful ball from wide into the box. It's a good header. It's a good goal. But I feel like that's harder to replicate versus creating chances through the middle, creating some clear-cut scoring opportunities through the center of the pitch. And I think they can do that, but I did not see that on the day. Yeah, there really wasn't much of anything to like from Cameroon in this game, Taylor, to to your overall point there. I do, though, at the same time, want to give a bit of praise to Guinea. I I didn't think we're good in this game, by the way. I I thought they were poor to fine. Maybe fine is being generous. They created almost nothing. They do get a goal uh, early on in the game to take a 1-0 lead. That is obviously a plus and, and then means that you take some of the gas off, right? You're not then trying to be quite as aggressive <laughs> protecting a one nil lead. So 
I, I do give them some credit for that stuff. But really, the biggest thing that I give them credit for is, is getting something out of this game without two of their best players. They're missing Girassi, who I talked about in the preview, has been excellent for Stuttgart in the Bundesliga this year up top. And they were missing Nabi Keita as well. Oh, he was on the bench, but, but wasn't fully fit, and it didn't apparently make sense to play him in this game. So it's a very solid result with, with that context in mind. I don't have very high expectations for Guinea in this tournament, and they didn't really give me any reason to in this game. But if they get their top players back in cooking, they're a team that, that maybe could cause some problems. Yeah, Joe, I had, I had a very similar note for them. Basically, for their part, uh, Guinea looked confident and capable defending deep and then countering, uh, like, needless red cards aren't going to help. They did get a, yep. a, a red card for a seldom-seen triple stamp. I haven't seen that very often. Uh, it turns out you can triple stamp a double stamp when it comes to trampling on an opposition player. Uh, so maybe fewer red cards will help them. But I, I did feel like they, to your point, Joe, got that goal and then were able to sit off and just frustrate and look on the counter. And when they did break on the counter... It felt like they were pretty capable, even if they aren't able to get that second goal. So I would say definitely a stronger performance from Guinea than I was expecting and a more uneven performance from Cameroon than I was expecting. Taylor, you say fewer red cards will help Guinea. Will uh, an Andre Onana appearance in Cameroon's next match help them? I mean, who knows, given his Manchester United form, but anyone who's been following that story, it's turned into a complete farce. So I mean, he wasn't even... It kind of was coming in, right? Yeah, okay. It is even more of a farce right. than it was coming into now. this tournament. So, Andre Onana wasn't even a name. It wasn't even named in the matchday squad for this game. Um, he played for Manchester United against Tottenham on Sunday. Made a big show on his socials about being on a private jet to the tournament. He said he would be there on time. And in the end, Rigobert Song left him out of the the matchday squad. I read a report that said he was so furious he had to be calmed down by El Hajjouf who I believe wow. was a guest at the game. Um, when someone is being calmed down by El Hadjouf, you know they're angry about something. That is a red flag for me. So I don't know if I have a read on whether Andre Anana is going to play a single match at, at this AFCON. I, I thought he wouldn't before the tournament started. It, it seems Song does not want him there. It seems like the Federation does not want him there. From the reporting I read is that the government, which is a bold step given that I believe that's illegal in FIFA law, but whatever, the government sort of requested that he be brought in because he is such a big-name player, because he is so influential in that team and in the country. And so I think he's brought in, but sort of, not with Rigobert Song's intentions in mind, and I don't think that he has endeared himself by not showing up for the the pre-tournament camp, by showing up late, I think would be the way to put that. And so though he is very good, and I do think would make them better with the way they set up and those players wide, I feel like his distribution can be really helpful in facilitating attacking play. But Again, I won't be surprised if he doesn't play. Maybe if there's a howler or two in their next game, that might change some things. But I think we could see a situation in which he is using that private jet to head home before the rest of the Cameroon squad are heading away from the tournament. Oh, boy. If you get some howlers and then your solution is Andre Onana to come in, that's... uh... (laughs) It's so strange that like a year ago... That that made a lot of sense to bring him in and have him be this solid possession goalkeeper who can make big saves and yeah. a little yeah, a Man little dab of Man United and away we go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure anybody's ever used the word solid to describe Andre Onana. Good at times, absolutely solid. Man, that's yeah. uh, that's a different story. Solid air miles he's got, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> not sure about the uh, record in this tournament. Group D. Uh, Joe has oh, has um. 2021 Africa Cup of Nations vibes, a 1-1 and a 1-0 in this one. Algeria with a 1-1 draw against Angola. Have you got a good half an hour on this one, Jack? Uh, no, I absolutely do not. I'm going to even let Graham take the, the most fun part of this game because he's more excited about it That's than really I am. Weird. Before we start recording, Joe said, everybody clear out for Algeria yep. Angola. ISO, I baby. ISO time. Let's go. <laughs> Cracked his knuckles and said, away we go. Angola. I'll, I'll do Angola instead of Algeria because, as mentioned, Algeria are in my single tier of teams. They're in my one tier cake, baby. Um, but Angola were dangerous on the break in this match. Not a ton of chances, but they had good chances when they were able to get forward, like high quality shots coming from Angola in this game. And a penalty kick in the second half gets them a 1-1 draw in this match. I don't envision, frankly, either one of these teams going terribly far. Algeria probably will end up going further of the two. But credit to Angola for being one of the many, many underdogs in this match day one group that got something out of their game. 
Yeah, I thought the first half of this match, not to use the old tired cliche, but the first half of this match was Algeria's and the second half was was Angola's. I'm a little bit warmer on Algeria, I think, than Joe is. I wouldn't say I found their first half performance entertaining, per se, but it was effective. They were looking for the long ball forward as often as possible. That's exactly how they scored the, the first goal. And Angola, they were struggling with getting turned towards their own goal and with... Uh, Bunaja as the focal point, who's the number nine, he was giving them a lot, a lot of trouble. I thought Yusuf uh, Bilali was fantastic in the first half as well. He was consistently driving with the ball, taking players on, and there were there were there were times in that first half when it felt like Angola were hanging on a bit. Um, the main highlight from this game for me, and one of the highlights of the tournament so far, was one of the best disallowed goals I have ever seen in my life. So it was Bunaja, again, he scored an overhead kick. So he pops it up off his chest. The cross comes in from the right-hand side. He kind of pops it up on his chest. He swivels, and then he scores on the full overhead kick from about 12 yards out. Sensational goal. Everyone is losing their minds, and then it's ruled out for an offside. He was offside. It wasn't particularly close. It was a couple yards in it, but they should have just allowed it to stand just because of how good a goal it was. Referees are real jobs worth when it comes to these uh, sort of goals. Excuse me, Graham. I'm I'm very sorry that that goal didn't stand. Uh, I appreciate your your hyping it up, though, all the same. When you said they were going long, when you said Algeria were basically looking to go direct every time, what were they targeting? Were they targeting one play in particular, or were they just sort of spreading it around to see where they could find chances? Well, I think they were they were finding space in between the the kind of left sided centre back and the right sided centre back. So as I saw, Angola were in this this back three, which of course in a low defensive block becomes a back five. But when Angola would push up into the midfield phase, there was space essentially for them to lump a cro- uh, lump a ball over the top and just let primarily Ebunaja, the number nine, like chase onto it and try and nick the ball there first. And if you look at the first goal, the first goal, by the way, is actually an excellent finish. Kind of takes it on the bounce, a half volley across the goalkeeper, but it just comes from a pretty um, direct route one pass. And they did that a number of times, and they were unfortunate not to score a second a second goal through 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 that way. So if they, if they can replicate that against other teams, I think maybe there will be less space between those defensive figures than Angola allowed in in, in the first half. And they did kind of tighten it up in the second half with some of their changes. I think they went they maybe went to a back four, I think. Um but yeah, that was that was a, the effective route for Algeria in the first half. Indeed. Uh, the other game in Group D, Burkina Faso with a 1-0 win over Mauritania. Bertrand Triore with the uh late penalty in this one. Graham this might be the first instance of the team sheet being the highlight of the game for me, certainly. Uh, Abubakar Kamara named as AK-47 yeah. on Rotania's official team sheet. Um, now, my beef with this uh, is that he wasn't wearing 47, and sadly for him, he didn't last 47 minutes either. <laughs> no, he didn't. He came off in before the 47th minute mark in the first in the first half. Yeah, it's an incredible nickname, and it was included on the team sheet. And I love that it was included on the team sheet. I went looking for the origin of this nickname and couldn't really find anything. So I presume he just told people to call him that one day in the dressing room. I don't know if you're allowed to set your own nickname, but AK47 has done that. Actually, his removal or his withdrawal had a big impact on the game for Mauritania. They held their own for the most part, but I think the loss of um, Kamara, who is their main primary goal scorer, it, it just meant they didn't really have much of a much of a. They didn't carry much of a threat in the final third after he went off. He's the the one player in their squad who's a reliable goal scorer. The other factor was Edmund T- Tapsoba, who, if it hadn't been for Lamine Kamara, I would say produced the best individual performance I've seen of any player at this Afcon so far. Burkino Faso, they they just got more and more courageous as the match went on, and they were looking for the the breakthrough, and they're pushing higher up. They were leaving Tapsoba on his own at times against two or three Mauritania attackers when they were on the, on, on the counter. They were quite bold at times, uh, Mauritania. But he's just so good at handling those situations. Even when he's under pressure, he just drops a shoulder and sort of surges away from whoever is, is, is pressing him. So, yes, Mauritania, they held it together for the majority of the match. They were very close to what would have been a famous uh, point for them against Burkina Faso, who have a good record at AFCON, have made the semi-finals in two of the, the last um, tournaments. But I don't begrudge Burkina Faso getting the three points because they were certainly the more proactive of the two teams. Fair enough. Uh, Mauritania with Angola up on match day two, Graham. We uh, we like their chances of getting some points on the board? 
Potentially. I said in my preview that Mauritania, it's all about getting a win on the board for them at this tournament. They've never won an AFCON match. This is their third tournament in a row. So that that's the real target for them. I don't have an update on uh, old AK-47's injury. I think that will be a big factor for them in that game. I'm not entirely sure how they're scoring goals without him. I mean, Koita was fairly decent in midfield. Gisama liked him as well. But in terms of true cutting edge, yeah, AK-47 is the only guy who can um, fire it into the back of the net. Hey, hope he gets reloaded and, uh, yeah, etc. <laughs> they're probably so going to be on. shooting blanks. Needs, needs to be on target. Uh, yeah, it's got one in the chamber, I'm sure. We could go on all day. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at groups it's, E and F. Or are it, we, Taylor? It's it's weird that uh, when Burkina Faso, or excuse me, when Mauritania didn't use AK-47, they had a bad day. Because normally when you don't have to use an AK, it's a good day. Indeed. Is that from experience? That's from an Ice Cube <laughs> lyric. Was that, was that worth postponing the break, Taylor? Do it you really feel, was. Do you really <laughs> like it was worth it? Thank you very much. Yeah. Look, okay. somebody listening to this got that reference and enjoyed it, even if you three hooligans cannot. Gotcha. I enjoyed the regret of stopping Ryan going to break, break halfway through the lyric. All right. You good, Taylor? Can I break now? I got several more Ice Cube lyrics if you're ready. <laughs> All right, we'll do those during the break. When we come back, Group E and Group F back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our AFCON Match Day 1 review. We go now to Group E, where Tunisia had a 1-0 uh, loss to Namibia. Uh, Joe, anything on this one? Yeah, Tunisia, they're in the tier. You don't want to be in the tier. <laughs> Nobody wants to be in the tier. Uh, Tunisia, with a good-headed chance early on in this game, set pieces have, as they are in every international tournament to one degree or another, right? Ha- have played a, a real part here. I'll talk more about set pieces later when we hit Morocco. Uh, but Tunisia, like outside of a couple early moments, they didn't look like a real contender, not just in this tournament, but in this game. They gave up way too many chances on the break, especially. They didn't create a ton of their own. They were really sloppy in a possession deep inside their own half. And then the goal they give up, maybe a score on an unmarked header to win the game. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't really like anything that Tunisia brought to the table. And maybe that's because Laiduni didn't start in this game and I am... Uh, predisposed to love Laiduni whenever he's playing for anyone. Uh, But I just did not see it with Tunisia in this game to the point where I really think that the top of this group, even the second spot is up for grabs with Tunisia, maybe not occupying either one of those. One one, uh, bit of credit for Namibia, other than the fact that they they won this game and that it's huge for them. There was a player that I really thought stood out for them in this game. Prince Tujueza, 21-year-old attacking midfielder for Namibia, Plays mostly, played mostly in this game in the left half space, although he would drift over to the right as well. Small, really shifty on the ball. He's the kind of player that I like to watch, right? Press resistant, low center of gravity, turns out of tight spots. He seems to have pretty good vision. He's not a, a Premier League player, right? You watch him and some of the miscontrols and stuff like that mean I think that he has a, a pretty hard ceiling to him. But uh, he plays in Kosovo, apparently. I didn't know much about soccer in Kosovo. As I was digging through the Wikipedia page for Prince Chizueza, I also learned that apparently SKC wanted to sign him back in 2019, but they couldn't because of some crazy drama with clubs claiming to have the rights to him, and I I didn't go all the way down that rabbit hole. But uh, I I thought it was fitting that no matter which players I like, there is somehow an MLS connection to them. But as I'm watching (laughs) Namibia going forward, Prince Chizueza in midfield is going to be somebody that I'm keeping my eyes on. Yeah, I liked what I saw from uh, Namibia. I, I agree, Joe, with Tunisia. They didn't really offer much uh, at all. But Namibia, it wasn't like it was a backs-to-the-wall job from Namibia. They they, they had... Um, so Tunisia did have a larger share of possession. But if you look at the shot count, if you look at the XG, Namibia yeah. made much more 
of their share. And, and Kaza, Kazapue, the, the goalkeeper, still had to make a, a couple of good saves. But it really felt like Namibia were the sharp, sharper of the, the two teams. They were quicker to second balls. They were quicker to move through the lines when they had possession. Petrus as the anchor at the base of the Namibia midfield was very effective at both breaking up Tunisia moves, but then also recycling the ball and pushing it forward into players like um, Hotokavanji and Mbondi in the wide areas. And I think it's also worth un- underlining the this just how big a shock this is we've had a lot of shocks in this AFCON but I think this is the biggest one we've had certainly match day one um, because they hadn't won any of their previous Namibia hadn't won any of their previous nine AFCON matches Genesia are 87 places above them in the FIFA rankings which is the biggest gulf we've had between two teams Mm. at the tournament so far and they get the win and the other piece of context is that in Namibia, the last few years, that football has been really difficult in Namibia the last few years. There was no active football in the country at all from 2019 until 2022 because of a dispute between the federation and, and, and the league. So that meant no league, no teams, no national team, nothing. Everyone just sitting at home for those three to four years. Even when the national team did come back in 2022, another dispute meant they weren't able to play their home matches at home. They had to play every game away from home. So the mere fact that they're at this tournament in the first place is a bit of a miracle. So for them to get this result over one of the highest ranked teams at the tournament, yeah, I think this is one of the biggest shocks we've seen in not just in this tournament, but in uh, AFCON history. Wow, Graham, that uh, Namibia story sounds like a good one for the Soccer Dispatch. Slash, I enjoyed reading your feature on Namibia in the Soccer Dispatch. Delete as appropriate. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent stuff. All right, uh, Taylor, how about Marley 2, South Africa nil? Uh, I don't have any Ice Cube lyrics for this one, so I'm not sure how much no. I'm going to be able to offer. Great, any Ice Cube lyrics for this point one? And you contributing <laughs> uh, I thought, uh, I thought if you only judge this by the first like 30 minutes or so, South Africa were going to win and win comfortably. I was really surprised by how strong they looked. Uh, they get the penalty. They missed the penalty. Uh, but even after that, it still felt like they were creating opportunities. And a lot of that was down to Mali misplacing passes and coughing up possession. Uh, and then it turns out when you don't do that, you win 2-0. So that Mali turn it around, I think, is a strong sign that they can sort of weather the initial storm. I do think, speaking of that, weather was actually a part of this. I think some of the rain maybe made the ball move faster and caused a little bit of disorder. Uh, but once order was restored, Mali with a 2 no win has to have them feeling confident i don't know where they are in joe's single tier ranking but i'm guessing they're outside of the bad one yeah they're out, they're T- outside T- of that T- tier taylor yes taylor was the weather percy tau's excuse for the sky and the penalty yeah it was, it was <laughs> weather wasn't ideal <laughs> it's, don't blame me that's such a strange penalty where like when you see it happen live it looks awful and it was not a good penalty don't get me wrong but it looks like it is both high and wide i think it was just wide and not yeah. over the goal as well but still really bad and then it's just never a good thing. I know why you have to do it if you miss a penalty, but the looking at the ground, like, ground, what have you done to me? As though it's the ground's <laughs> fault that you missed that. It's always, it's always a, a natural default look, but never a good look at the same time. Where else should you look, though, Taylor, if you miss? I think you'd just be like, sorry, hand up in the air, hand up in the air. I look saw it a inward. few times so far in the tournament of like somebody <laughs> passing the ball straight to an, an opposition player and then yelling at their teammate as though it was the, the teammate's fault. And then in this case, yeah, pointing at the ground is an equally strange decision. Yeah, fully gaslit everybody around you at, at the time. <laughs> yeah, Taylor, I agree with your assessment of South Africa. I thought they started this game well out of their 4-2-3-1 shape. They did a really good job early on of drawing Mali's central midfielders forward and playing in behind them. And they did a good job of using their width advantage. So to, to really explain why that was so important in this game, got to go to Molly's tactical setup. They're in a 4-4-2 diamond. The only team I've seen so far that has used that shape at this tournament. It's been a lot of back fours and a lot of 4-3-3s specifically. South Africa, again, in a 4-2-3-1. Not all that different because you have, out wide, natural width. You have two wingers and two fullbacks who can go and overload the wide areas. And Molly just ditched the whole concept of wingers in this game, which makes sense when you look at the squad, right? Haidara... Uh, Bisuma, you look at uh, Diang, like there, there are real quality central midfielders in this team. So they want to stack the center of the field, but South Africa saw that and the players understood to create chances in the final third, we're going to have success overloading the wings. And that's where the penalty kick comes from, by the way, is, is uh, South Africa do a good job of creating an overload on that left side to serve a ball in. And then there's a foul in the box and, and they miss the PK. It is always a risk to go high on penalty kicks for the very uh, sole reason that it is an optical illusion and looks really, really terrible on the broadcast. Yep. Well, it, it is terrible, but it looks even worse. Molly, though, I thought they grew into the game well. They struggled early on. I didn't think the press was particularly well coordinated from the start to the point where they were giving 
South Africa too many of those looks in behind their midfield. But you can see where the real strength of this team is. It's at, it, it's in the central midfield as the real like, kind of engine of this group. And it's with them winning the ball in the press and attacking in transition. Or if not in the press, in like some sort of an aggressive high mid block. Both goals come from that in this game. I didn't think Mali were super great in possession, but when they had a chance to break forward, they punished South Africa. The first goal leads to a free kick, which then leads to the goal. And the second one is just a straight-up transition attack and open play after Mali win the ball on the right side of their midfield group. So I think if Mali are going to cause teams problems, it is absolutely going to be with their midfield at the heart of what they're doing and in transition because they look scary when they got out on the break in this game. Yeah, the most interesting thing, at least in my opinion, about the way that this match panned out for Mali is that Yves Basuma, who is arguably their star player in, in yeah. that squad, um, he comes off just before the hour mark in this game. I don't believe there was any injury, not that I've read anyway, and he was replaced by Lasana Koulibaly. And that's kind of a turning point in the game for, for Mali. All of a sudden, there's a, there's more energy about them, certainly in the press, as we saw for the, the second goal where they forced the, the turnover high up the pitch. It meant they could go a little bit more direct when playing on the counter. It was just much more incisive. And, and that change, unexpected as it was, taking off arguably your star player, was was one of the keys to the match. So uh, yeah, kudos to, to, to Mali for kind of changing up in that way. All right, uh, last but not least, Group F, where we saw Morocco get a 3-0 win over Tanzania, Joe. Uh, are they, on, on the cake, on the cake uh, analogy, are they the cherry on top Morocco at the moment? How are we feeling? <laughs> well, it's just a bad cake, so I don't think Morocco want to be a part of, <laughs> excuse me, of, of this particular cake. Rambo They're in the whole separate... Cake? Is anyone else? We're not going to yeah, talk about tried, it. I kind of glossed right. over that. Fine, 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 fine. Yeah, cherry What's on that, top. So the phrase "a cherry on top." What does that come from? It's got to be ice like cream, a, right? A milkshake or something? An ice cream okay. sundae. Chad, what no. is wrong with you? No, I'm not. Hold a on. Milkshake? Cherry on top of the That's cake. That's how they do it at Chili's, guys. They do. They, they they put cherries on top of cakes at Chili's. Um, a, a Bakewell tart graham has a cherry on top. That's, Indeed, uh, that's made up. There we go. That's not a real thing. <laughs> cherries go on ice cream sundaes and in Manhattans, and that's it. Realistically, maraschino cherries suck, so don't put them anywhere near my dessert. Anyway, moving on to Morocco in this game. A thing that wow. starts with M that I like a lot. Morocco, I thought, were excellent. Uh, Taylor, man, Taylor and Ryan didn't like that maraschino cherry day. I also personally. did like the a thing that starts with M that I do like. <laughs> I, I boo that transition, Joe Lowry. Smooth as it was. I could tell I was losing. Um, I was losing favor amongst the group. Graham was um, very quiet. Graham, you didn't want to defend me or face. what? What's the deal, man? All right, it's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm searching uh, to prove Ryan right that the cherry on top of the cake is a well-known Pick a side uh, on the maraschino just, cherry debate you can. I wasn't listening for that Pick part. Pick a side. Joe, Are they good or bad, other jobs to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Whatever. All right, you're wrong. Anyway, Morocco, Morocco also very good. Taylor, do you like that one better? Is that better for you? Yes. Okay, Thank great. You. I, I think it's better too. Uh, set pieces. I, I mentioned I was going to talk about it earlier. I don't think that is going to be the biggest storyline for Morocco as this tournament goes on. But let's cast our minds back to the preview where we talked about, okay, they're coming off of this big run at the World Cup. They make the World Cup semifinal. That was the single largest narrative around this team coming into AFCON. Like, they are among the favorites. They're along with Senegal, either favorite or second favorite, depending on which book you're looking at. Like, expectations are high for Morocco at this tournament. But the difference between AFCON and the World Cup is obviously in the quality of the opposition that Morocco are facing. At AFCON, they have a talent advantage in almost every game. They're going to be expected to play with the ball. At the World Cup, you know, it wasn't like Morocco were always operating at a deficit, but the further they got in that tournament, the bigger deficit, the bigger the deficit was, really. So Morocco ended up playing much more without the ball at the World Cup and had 30-something percent possession across their seven games. Now they're, they're dominating the ball. And I thought they did a decent job with it in this game, but the fact that Morocco has set pieces to go to with Akeem Ziyech serving balls into the box or, or firing them off on frame, the fact that they have that weapon in their back pocket makes them even more dangerous. And that's where the first goal comes from. It's a free kick from Akeem Ziyech. It's not like the greatest free kick of all time, but it manages to wrong foot the goalkeeper. And Roman Saiz follows it up and, and scores a really nice rebound. It's 1-0. And from that point on, Tanzania just never really look like they've got a shot of getting back in this game. That right side for Morocco is so good, right? Mm -hmm. Akraf Hakimi playing right back. Onahi, who was one of the breakout stars of the World Cup in midfield. And then Hakeem Ziyech on the right wing. Like they'll just kind of rotate in and out of different spots. They'll do the PSG Vitinha thing of moving their central midfielder all the way to the wing. Mm. Well, PSG do it so that Mbappe can come inside. And Morocco do it with Onahi moving out to the wing so that Ziyech and Hakimi can come in freelance and, and kind of find the game and do whatever they want. Morocco looked really scary, probably better than I thought they were going to with the asterisks that Tanzania are not a very good team. But Morocco, I think, very easily belong in that group that Graham mentioned at the top. They won this game handily. Uh, I was a little more down on Morocco than I think either of you were, not for any 
seemingly legitimate reason, uh, and I was wrong. I'll hold my hands up there because watching this game, I do think they were the most impressive team that we've seen so far. Joe talked about it a lot, but to run it back through real quick, Hakimi and Zayek on that right is so strong. Hakimi gets the assist in this game. But even if they are not directly creating goals or scoring goals, the defenders are so preoccupied with them that they are going to foul early and often, which leads to a red card in this game for a second yellow for Moroshi, uh, who had the audacity to complain about it when it was a pretty clear second yellow. Uh, but then it also, I think, stretches defenses out because they want to prevent that overload or prevent those two players from combining really well. And I would argue the second goal from Morocco uh, is basically uh, Tanzania spreading out too much, and then it's a good combination through the middle, and it's a clever finish from Munahi. But but it's also one of the few times, I feel like, in this tournament, I saw a team score a goal by possession play and combination play through the middle and opening up a defense that way. It feels like it's been a little more direct at times. It feels like it's been some crosses or some individual effort. And this was just a really nice, uh, quick one, too. I think uh, uh, we did have Hakimi also involved in this one, starting the play. And so it just felt like some good, clever combination from Rocco and just a lot of talent across the board. And then on top of all that, just veteran wisdom because Tanzania, once they're 1-0 down, it felt to me like wanted to try to make this a, a scrappy foul fest and were happy to kind of have a little dark arts thrown in there and see if they could pull one back, see if they could frustrate Morocco and maybe get um, some cards here and there. Uh, Chibi gets one uh, for maybe going back at a Tanzanian player. And it, I, I noted that uh, Saiz and I think three more Moroccan players came in and pulled him off and then yelled at him specifically. Didn't get mad at the other player, didn't get mad at the ref, but clearly were telling him, like, use your head, don't get pulled into this. And I think that they evaded getting any red cards themselves. They only yeah. picked up two yellows in this one. But you have your center forward scoring, you have your central midfielder scoring, you have your, your talismanic uh, fullback creating goals, you've got your, I think your captain Saiz scoring a goal. It's just very strong signs across the board from Morocco. Yeah, I was also very impressed, Taylor, by the kind of speed of their possession play. But the other thing that impressed me was the variety that they had. So there was that side of their game. But then we also saw a big part of their game plan seemed to be long passes into Enesiri and have him mm -hmm. set up a late runner with a knockdown or, or a setup. We saw that happen a few times. Or they would use the threat of Enesiri as a, as a focal point to drag the Tanzanian backline away from the midfield. And that opens up space for Amala and Anahi and, and Ziak, excuse me. So that variety, um, I accept Joe's point. Tanzania, not particularly high caliber opponents. We've seen, seen a lot That's of cool. minnows overperform. I don't think Tanzania um, was one of them. They were the only team in match they won not to register a, a, a shot on target. Opta tweeted out the shot map from this game. I found it very funny because there's two, there's just two shots off target from about 40 yards out that just say to me, ah, screw it. Yep. We'll just have a shot from here. We can't get any closer to goal than this. They didn't have a shot on target. They were pretty rash in the tackle a lot of the time as we saw for the red card. So that was certainly a factor in this, in this match, but the performance put in by Morocco, yeah, I thought was probably the most impressive of yeah. any team we've seen. If you didn't watch this game and you look at the stats, like it, it, it's, it's pretty telling because yeah, Tanzania to Graham's point, uh, an XG of 0 0.03. Two shots, but 374 accurate passes. Uh, yeah, they passed it around the back a lot and didn't really do much else. And then Morocco, when they would press, would win the ball back and complete some passes themselves. So I, I think you're, you're totally right that it's a caveat that Tanzania, I think, aren't the strongest of teams. But I still think you can. we've seen teams, especially in opening games, play down to their opponent. And Morocco certainly did, do, did not do that on the day. Uh, finally, real quick on DR Congo with their 1-1 draw with Zambia. Graham uh, highlighting Gael Kakuta being in a DR Congo yeah. setup. Uh, I looked at his Wikipedia. He's been at 1 billion clubs since he was at Chelsea, I think. <laughs> Well, it's pretty common for uh, Chelsea Youth Academy graduates of a certain generation. Yeah, Gil Kakuta, I, I believe, playing for Amiens in, in Ligue 2 in, in, in France. I have seen a lot of people suggest that DR Congo could be dark horses in this tournament. If you look through their squad, they do have some real quality in there, particularly in the attacking positions where they have Cedric Bakambu, Johan Wissa, they've got Chancel and Bemba at the back, Theo Bongonda, who I thought was frequently DRC's liveliest attacking player coming inside off the, off the right side to try and make things happen and, and, and beat a man and they were overloading down that right side and Zambia had real trouble matching up against them there and Gal Kakuta was one of the players who made those overloads on, on the right side possible. I thought he was the best, certainly the most influential player on the pitch. He was the one dictating possession for DRC in the middle. His passing range was good. He was sharp with his, with his, with his passes and his use of the ball. I just found it really impressive and interesting 
that he was playing and I admit I haven't seen Gil Kakuta play for a while I don't tend to catch many uh, Omion's matches in, in League 2 but that is that is not a position I associated with Gil Kakuta he's, he was a winger when I saw him last so impressive that he's adapted to that to that role um, so well and I think he's going to be an important player for DRC at this tournament yeah, he was he was twenty when I saw him last as well. So there's uh, <laughs> certainly some changes that have happened there, Graham. All right, I think we have match day one this tournament so far. Um, Taylor, we're going to be checking in on the reg with Afcon, of course, as it progresses through, and we'll also be de- dedicating some coverage to Asia Cup as it goes deeper into its tournament as well. But for now, Taylor, you are the cherry on top of this cake. Thank you very much. It was a good day. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Or was that another one? <laughs> I think it was the same one, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Okay. <laughs> Ryan was paying attention. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard more AK-47 mentions previously. Joe Lowry, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Ryan. And Graham Rutherford, a pleasure as always. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Listener, thank you the mostest for joining us on the feed. We'll be back very shortly. But for now, bye! Bye!